0: Hi, I'm Joey. I'm alcoholic. Fresh meat. Yeah, stay with them new guys. Anyway, I say I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm not cross addicted. Uh, I'm not duly addicted. I'm an alcoholic that makes a lot of bad decisions when I drink, and I do a lot of drugs. But I know what I a lot of drugs. And when I run out of drugs, I drink more because that's just the way it is. My sobriety date is June seventh, 1988. Um, if you're looking to hear a story about me coming in because I lost everything and stuff like that, you're not going to. I never had nothing until I got <laughs> Nothing. And if I did have anything, it probably belonged to you. So, anyway. There's a lot of people in this room here that... Uh, that I followed around and and I know for sure that they didn't think I was listening but I was listening you know uh, and I want to thank them and they know who they are anyway I didn't grow up on Wall Street I grew up on Banklick Street <laughs> alright on the west end of Covington uh grew up in what some might call dysfunctional family and and you know I really don't the things I've did in my life I don't need to label anybody but uh my mom and my dad both drank a lot uh, and fought a lot. Uh, a lot of times I can remember hiding my brother and my sister in the closet, and my dad would uh, throw furniture, break furniture up and throw uh, furniture out the second floor window. And it, just a lot of times we was poor, and we run cords, extension cords, you know, so we have a little bit of electric for a couple of lights and stuff. And my uncle would come sometimes and turn the water on out on the sidewalk. And uh, so I kind of like, uh, I kind of grew up poor with a chip on my shoulder. Um, and kind of wondered why everybody else had nice shit and I didn't.
1: You know? uh,
0: so anyway, uh, I can remember one night uh, my mom was laying in the kitchen floor and her head, she was bleeding on her forehead. And my dad was throwing the furniture out the second floor window. And my granny and my pop lived underneath of us and my pop had a massive heart attack and died and he was like you know the stable man in my family because he would come home he was a painter and he would come home and he'd have a six pack of Weedemann and he'd have a box of moon pies not the real moon pies not the ones they sell in Kroger's now And I was his first grandkid and he'd be hollering for me you know and, and I got just you know I got all the attention I really wanted from him and my granny um, my mom uh, my mom and dad split up my dad would come around and uh, he'd work on his car a couple weeks, and then he'd be gone for months. I, one time, uh, I, I did uh, uh, two bits in prison for six and a half years, and never even seen him. You know, and didn't know where he was at or anything. But my mom and dad got divorced when um, when I was ten, and I'm the oldest. Uh, I'm the oldest out of all the kids. I got a sister; that's thirteen months younger than me. I got uh, I got another brother in prison in uh, Tennessee. Two of my brothers are already dead, and my baby brother—I don't know what he's doing—but he gets sober for a while and he gets high for a while. He's around here somewhere, so he's already been in prison twice. So we ain't had much luck in the Sylvie family. <laughs> anyway, I—I um, uh, I learned to steal early. Uh, the first thing that I did was uh, drink. Like, my my mom would working res- work in a restaurant, she'd come home, she worked in a restaurant and had an apron and it had change in it and she would always say, uh, said, you're the man in the house and stuff and I thought, well, some extra privileges went with that <laughs> and uh, so she hung her apron up, you know, and my mom would work at a restaurant, the lookout house and stuff on Dixie Highway, she'd come home and she'd get drunk in the bars and where I lived at, we had bars in the middle of the street. You know I mean you could go, you could hit five bars in a block, you know in one little grocery store, but she'd get drunk and she'd come home pass out and uh, she'd hang her apron up and I'd get some of it, and we could go to uh up to eight forty five bar and uh, you'd get a Weedman for forty cents and uh, I hung around guys that were older than me, and you could get a tube of that model car glue for uh, nineteen cents, yeah. <laughs> A quarter you know, if you had a dollar you had a party. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's the kind of stuff that we did, you know, we sniffed model car glue and drank Wiedemann. and
1: uh, uh Anyway, uh that
0: that glue that did the trick sometimes.
1: <laughs> you know
0: that back then they had these detention these um, black cars, these novas and they had juvenile detectives and they'd catch you and you know. Well I ain't been sniffing no glue you have that stuff all over your shirt and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And your hair spaced out. But anyway, uh I started doing drugs at an early age, but I drank all my life. I drank all the time. I never stopped drinking. People say they when they shot heroin or Delilah, you know, they couldn't drink with it. I, I drank just fine with it.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I could shoot I could shoot a bag of hair I could shoot a bag of heroin and drink fifth of Jim bean never throw up you know and uh so those are the things and the first uh the first drug we ever did i ever did and was with that guy right there we did mda some of y'all was old enough to, some to remember mda we ride our bicycles to trailways bus station over cincinnati and you get a capsule for three dollars and it's three hits Well, you're supposed to take it and split you know three ways and well, me and him both did a hit each we didn't even open the capsule and uh and I'll never forget that, that everything was going here. And you think, well, that might be scary, but I just thought it was great. You know, I, I did so much acid and stuff, I see myself standing in the doorway and giant frogs in the sky eating me. I wanted to get way out there. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that just smoked a joint selling on cows and got mellow. You know, that, that just wasn't my speed. But anyway, we... we uh, some of the old butterfly ignitions, we stole cars and drive them around the block and stuff. That's how we learned how to drive. The old Buicks and Chevrolets, you could pop the ignition on them and and you could drive them around at night. I stole a, a city truck one time. It, it drove it all. I drove it all night long and hit a, on a flat tire. <laughs> I got, got caught on 15th and Russell. And, uh, but I was in and out of reform school several times. Um, I was in Louisville State Reception Center. Uh, in 69 and uh, I was 12 years old and I went back there three times and in um, Kentucky Village uh, those places I think are all gone I don't know, it's been a long time ago but I've been to one foster home and um, I was there like five minutes and I took off and and they finally caught me so um, I, was, I was a problem child I was a problem and I was angry and I was angry and I felt sorry for myself and I'm going to tell you, self-pity will, hurt and will kill you, you know, and, and stuff like that. But I can remember a lot of times that there was this, this uh, people that lived uh, down the street a little bit, and their dad would, on the weekend, would uh, pick them up, and they had one of them station wagons with the wood grain on the side, you know, and they had fishing poles and floats hanging out, you know, and uh, I never did experience none of that. And so, you know, that even made me even angrier, and, and I never had, we played baseball for St. John's, Danny and I. And uh, I never had no one come to watch my baseball games or anything. But his mom and dad would always take me out for ice cream after. And we was little kids. So, you know, and uh, I, I had a pretty good chip on my shoulder. And uh, as time went on, I, I let a lot of people know about that, too. Uh, but anyway, I was in the reform school. And uh, my mom, God bless her heart, she was a drunk. She died when I was a teenager of alcoholism. Uh, I went to her funeral on shackles and leg irons, and my brother was killed when I was in LaGrange in 76, and I went to his funeral on shackles and leg irons, you know? And um, all the booze and all the dope in the world never take that away, you know? So um, that's it. that even fueled my alcoholism even more. Um, but anyway, I got in some trouble in Newport, and... Um, um, Cincinnati. I'd robbed a couple stores in Cincinnati and Newport, and, uh, my mom, God bless her heart, she'd do anything, you know, she thought that, you know, she didn't know that me being locked up was a good thing, you know, uh, being away from society, she'd always thought that I was going to get killed somewhere, and, uh, I, you know, I was a teenager fighting in the bars, and stuff like that, back then, you could drink in the bars, and, uh, but anyway, I got in a bunch of trouble. I think it was six, six or seven felonies, and in Covington, Newport and Cincinnati. And um, they busted me, and they put me in twenty over on Twentieth uh, uh, and Auburn in the detention home. And um, uh, I had charges in Kentucky too, and I was in there a few weeks. And then finally, they sent me to Kentucky on the sixth floor. And my mom finally got me out, and um, she had been seeing this guy. He was a bouncer at a bar, and uh, and. Uh, so I was she was hiding me out so I wouldn't get in no more trouble. But anyway, I was in Ludlow, a little apartment behind the Buffalo Bar. And I was hiding out because Mom didn't want me in Covington. And um, the night before I was supposed to go to trial, I had her and my stepdad and my, uh, her, and my new stepdad, and my uh, brother and sister pull up in Old Green and we went to Florida. And that the, the, the trick was now some of you all might remember this that you back then if you stayed out of trouble to use eighteen, they would drop your juvenile charges now, when I was a juvenile, I probably already had twenty felonies. you know I mean it just uh you know just because i'm I'm, I'm a drunk I'm not a good criminal I'm not smart you know and, and stuff i I get caught easy <laughs> yeah. You get drunk and you sniff glue, you can't run very fast. <laughs> you know, and, and driving a damn city truck with a flat. <laughs> but anyway, we was out and uh, we headed to Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I mean, we lived right on the beach, right on the ocean. And my mom was like the head maid of a motel. So uh, everywhere I go, I got to find, I take Joey with me. You know, and, and that's never good. Um, we get down there, and, you know, I got kicked out of every school in Covington. I got kicked out of homes. I've never been to homes. That's true. But I went back to school in Duval County. I went back to school in Jacksonville, uh, Duval County High, and um, um, because Mom wanted me to watch, and my sisters, she's, I think she's drank a total of a coffee cup full of liquor in her whole life, and she's 65, and uh, so, me and my brother Bud, we went back to school and, and stuff. And I went to school because I met a guy that sold Yellow Sunshine. Okay, and then watched, I watched for my sister and make sure she was okay. But my sister always got along because she hung around decent people, and I didn't. You know, I, I find the, the, the strangest and craziest people I can, just like me. And uh, I met this guy named Rex, and his mom never was home, he didn't have no dad. And he had one of the liquor cabinets, you know, the big liquor cabinets, about six foot tall, about six foot wide, you know, and he full of liquor. And his mom never was home. She had a whole mess of cabinet full of uh, pills. And I know that the, I just told you a minute ago how dumb I was as an alcoholic. All right. I know that there's a PDR. Okay. I know all that. But back then I didn't. So this is my philosophy. You get in the mess of You take two and wait thirty minutes and see what
1: happens. (laughs) Hey,
0: if nothing happens, you put it on the left
1: of the medicine cabinet.
0: You take and then you get another volunteer. So and then all the good ones you run into, you keep on the right. You know, make a mental note of them and stuff like that. That that's a you know. Now you do a couple of them that you can't pronounce the name of, and a couple hits of yellow sunshine and some bush beer, and you got a party. Yeah. So, and back then you could drive, I mean, it was wide open back then. You could drive cars on the beach and everything. Now you can't do it down there now. But anyway, it was down there. My mom actually slowed down drinking. She started making homemade wine and stuff. She really loved this man. My mom was a model in Toes and Pose Magazines in Cincinnati. And she started gaining weight. And, um, and, um, she didn't like that, so she started drinking the vodka again. And her and my stepdad, my stepdad never—he never hit on us kids. He never hit my mother, you know. He never belittled us or anything, you know. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like my real dad. But he was—he was a good dad he, for the years that they was together. He's from the country. I'm in mean, cold-blooded country, all right. And, uh, but anyway, I got down there. I remember I was doing—I uh, i had uh, been speeding all day long, all night long, and drinking. My uh, stepdad drank Jack Daniels, he drank a fifth every day. Never seen him drunk, never seen him stagger, never got a DUI or nothing, and uh, he was a big guy, and uh, so I would drink, I'd get on this speed, and I'd drink some of this Jack Daniels. He didn't care how much I drank. He didn't care how much Bush beer. He said, just stay out of trouble, because I don't want your mom crying. That's what he'd tell me, and he was a big guy, and, and he said, that's the only thing he ever said to me with authority, you know, and, uh, but... We were down there. I'd been up speeding all weekend, me and this guy named Rex O'Neill. And uh, there's a real big fancy house that's got one of them black iron gates around it, you know, and it's electric and shit.
1: And uh, so,
0: yeah, you know where this is going, don't you?
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, so uh, we'd been speeding all weekend, and I said, I'd tell Rex, I said, look, man, I bet they got some, a lot of money in that house, a lot of stuff worth a lot of money. I said, you see them cars they drive and stuff. So, so we went in there, and um, we broke into the place. We, there was two cars gone, so we knew no one was home. Of course, we didn't know anything about alarms or anything either. But um, they found, they called us Duval County cops, called us a Jacksonville Beach patrol, and they put us in jail. And um, Rex had never been in trouble before, but um, uh, they put us in. They drove the whole car in, into the jail. The garage door lifted up. Back here at home, you know, they get you out, and they, you walk with your handcuffs, and they take you in the door and up the elevator. And I knew once I went in this fancy jail that I was in trouble. And, um, but anyway, I, got in, I was in jail there, and uh, they tried me as an adult, and they tried Rex as a juvenile because he was a year younger than me, and they gave me 18 months in the penitentiary. And uh, Duval County Correction Center, and um, so I jail well. Of course, I was locked up almost all my life. Uh, I jail well, and uh, I was in there six and a half months. And um, they they take you out on a, after I think thirty days. You know, you get this like certain you know where you're, you can go out on this truck and clean side of the road. You see them sometimes out there. so we didn't wear no orange vest, but. And so we go out on this truck. I'm from the city. Okay? I, I I don't do you know, woods, I don't do snakes and spiders, none of that shit. I don't go I don't go deer hunting, I only shot one thing, it was a man. I I, I'm not interested in none of that. And if I didn't have my grandsons, I wouldn't even go fishing. And if they asked, that's the only reason I would go fishing, because of my grandsons. But anyway, um they take you out on this road, and you're out on this road, and uh, some of you all know these side roads. They're they're pretty scary, and uh, so uh, I'm giving these guys. I don't ever never never left the blacktop, and these guys are giving me stuff to put in my bag, you know. So it looks like I'm actually cleaning up a little bit. And if you guys used the bathroom, you know, you raise your hand, you say I got to go, Captain, and and these guys they truck right off and uh and there and, and do their business right there in the swamp and shit, and it's swamp. I mean you. You hear shit in there and
1: uh,
0: <laughs> I pissed right on the yellow line. <laughs> I never I never left the blacktop.
1: <laughs> I don't
0: I didn't care. <laughs> so anyway I got some good time and um I did six and a half months there and uh and my mom, you know, like I said, she tried her best to do what, what she could do and what she with what she had to work with. And um uh, my little brother, uh he was five years younger than me. He never got in a whole lot of trouble um, until, you know, until he was killed, before he was killed. But anyway, um, we, uh, my mom decided we need to get back out of there. So she, moves, she wants to move where my stepdad's from. No offense, anybody, if you're from Macquarie County. Okay? <laughs> Macquarie County is country as it gets, especially in the early 70s, mid-70s. Um, I got hair down here, and uh, like I said, my stepdad was country. We moved to this place, and it's uh, this high, this junior high school probably had a thousand people in it in Florida, not counting the senior high school. But we moved to Macquarie County, the county, a little town called Stearns, and they have 600 people in the whole school from first grade to twelfth grade. They to back in the classroom. <laughs> Yeah, you're allowed to smoke in, in the in the restrooms in the boys' room, but not in the hallway. You know, and it's a dry county. So we get down there, and I don't know, it's like culture shock to me. And uh, I get uh, I met the McDonald met these McDonald brothers, and seemed just like me, crazy as can be. They actually grew up on Vine Street in Cincinnati, and um, they didn't have no dad, and their mom was real easy to get over on. And they're my buddies. There's three of them. And there's only one alive now. Um, deuce. But we get down and you got to drink hot beer. So, And they don't know, know, they don't know nothing about Jealous Sunshine stuff like that. Their whole, their whole ideal of getting the buzz was drinking hot beer and taking a 750-milligram Thorazine capsule. <laughs> yeah. You don't get high. You don't get high. When it kicks in... You fall and you stay. <laughs> you
1: no,
0: know, I did it one time. You know, and uh, yeah, that's true. But anyway,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> they did, and, and they they grow pot down here, okay? And then they're out there with these tobacco. You know what a tobacco cutter is, and they're cutting this damn tobacco or this pot down and shoving these bags. And I'm trying to tell them the female plant with the buds. See them buds? I said, that's the only thing that produces THC, okay? And they're spitting this big hunk of stuff out, and, you know, and they're chopping this shit and that shit in the bag. He says, oh, wait till we get home. It all smokes the same. You know? <laughs> I'm trying to get some buds and put in my pocket and stuff. <laughs> anyway, my Uncle Mike comes in from, uh, from Dayton, Ohio, and he comes to visit my mom's youngest brother. And a lot of y'all knew Mike Powers. He died sober. Um, he come in and uh, he said, Come on man, he said, Let's take you know let's get something get this county roused up a little bit. So we get in the car and he tells mom, uh, we're going he run around with the outlaws up in Dayton and we go right up to Dayton and we get two hundred hits of acid and uh, some two-tone blues and some uh, Parker Davis five seventy fours. All this shit's outlawed. Of course a lot of you all old enough to remember some of this, you know. <laughs> And some two and all, and second all, uh, and we come back and uh, we was on, back then. We was paying something like sixty cents a hit for it, you know. And you'd sell it for two dollars and fifty cents a hit, and three dollars after dark, you know. That make that extra fifty cents. You know, you got you got to make enough where you can do a few anyway. But I'm not a good dope dealer either. <laughs> you know, sometimes two ain't enough. <laughs> But anyway, we get back, and uh, we, we started selling some of these, and these country guys, man, they they do anything for a couple of them little yellow pills. I mean, they, get, they said, you want a half a hog? They'd <laughs> 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 you know, offer shotguns and everything. I, I said, one of them said, I got two extra chainsaws. He said, I'll give you one for a couple of them yellow pills. I don't, I, back then, I didn't even know how to use a chainsaw. You know? And uh but that, you know, and we were there and I had this uh I had this room with my water bed in it for me and my little brother and I had a thousand posters up and stuff and yeah, this was crazy. Anyway, it's three o'clock in the morning and I kept hearing this peck. It's like and I thought, you know, I'm tripping man, I'm watching, the, you know, I got this past blue ribbon sign. This light that goes around and round real slow. And I'd been doing acid probably for a day and a half. And I got all... You know, remember them ones, them uh, posters that would glow in the dark and stuff? I had them all over the place. Anyway, I'm tripping on the ceiling and listening to Frankenstein by Edgar Winter. And finally, finally, uh, I get up. I only had one little window in, in, in there. And I get up and I I look, and these guys are outside. And, and uh, I said, you know, my stepdad was cool, but he, he probably, you know don't appreciate you getting him up at 3 in the morning. So I sneak on out there, and these guys uh, tripping on this ass of these hillbillies, they stole a the watermelon truck.
1: <laughs>
0: now, wait a minute. I'm talking about a watermelon truck, not a pickup truck, like one as long as this room. They flipped it in a gully and was out there butt-ass naked having a watermelon fight. Yeah. yeah, Blew me a- Toward, I was freaking out, man. That ruined my balls. Uh, I, so I, I, snuck, I snuck back in the house and got the phone and put it in the room, and I called a buddy of mine. He actually did good in his life, and I called him. And I said, you need to come get these guys, Joe. I said, if Tucker wakes up, I says, he'll shoot three or four of them, you know. And finally, they started, they put their clothes on and started walking back up the road. I just made sure that they was leaving. And uh, Joe coming, and gone, and that was a, they, and none of them, they thought they was, you know, they just didn't think nothing was wrong with that. They thought that was just cool as could be. Well, that's what you're supposed to do when you see stuff in the road that ain't there, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and then they would uh, do these, they would do them two and alls. And them 2 and all, and so then they start slobbering a little bit down here. I so doing like this, and they're drinking this hot-ass beer, you know, because the border's 17 miles away. And they're doing that, and they say, I don't know why that makes me slobber. <laughs> I said, probably because you did five of them.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: uh, but all you know, everywhere I go, I take Joey with me, and I am starting to get homesick. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up on Banklick Street, not at Spence Hill, and um, I was starting to get homesick, and I, I, there's one, one uh, hardware store. I've been there three times to make amends. Finally got to do it, too, anyway, but that was from the 70s. Uh, I'd been all weekend. They had this, long, they had this uh, laundromat, and there was locked, but it had jukebox in it. If you put a quarter in it and hit it, your quarter would come back, and you'd play five songs, and that's where everybody party and we hide our hot beer around the back that they, they didn't have cops in, in Macquarie County. they had a constable. I haven't got a clue what it is, but I think it's like a sheriff uh, but you know, and you never seen once in a while you would see a state trooper drive by, but it it's in the boonies and um anywhere we'd been up all weekend uh, drinking and drugging and uh and uh I got the bright idea that I was going to. Get some money together and go home. And I went up and stole my stepdad's '69 Cadillac and his 12-gauge shotgun. And I went and robbed a hardware store at 6 a.m. when they opened, and I took his car back and threw the shotgun in the trunk. And I ducked over to the railroad tracks and I was trying to wait till dark so I could try to at least do some hitchhiking or something. And I was still all drunk and stuff anyway for the last two or three days. And uh, anyway, I seen some cops then. Because I'd been down there four or five hours and these cops come in from Tennessee line and everywhere and got me. And they put me in jail. And they don't have the detention home in Macquarie County. Or they didn't then. Um, So I was uh, in jail. And uh, there's three cells in there. And two of them were packed full with boxes. And I was in there five weeks. Not not one other person would ever come in jail. They never arrested nobody else. I was... I was an outcast anyway because I had long hair and I was from the city and stuff and, and stuff like that. So I I really didn't have anything coming in Macquarie County to begin with. Now I've already broke a bad rule, I guess, robbery is. And uh <laughs> but I'm in there and uh we went to court and this is how we went to court. My stepdad he he hunted and fished with all of them down there. That's where he grew up at, in the Cumberland Falls area and stuff. Uh I went in, they took me into the courtroom and there was a the constable and a judge, um, a state trooper, and my mom and my stepdad. And, and the judge looked at my mom and says, you get him out of here, I said we'll put him where no one will find him. 48 hours later we were gone, they let me go, 48 hours later we moved, we was out of there. And I was uh, 17 years old. and. I, um, uh, we moved back to northern Kentucky and uh, I hid out at um, a place called Camp Turnabout. It's like a, a trailer or a, you know, where they have campers and stuff on the river. And, uh, I was hiding out down there. My mom would give me a case of blue ribbon and a uh, fifth of vodka and stuff and a carton of Marlboro's and, you know, anything to keep me out of trouble and God bless her soul. And, um, uh, I was out there, and they didn't have telephones or nothing back then, and the campers, but up the top of the hill, I guess that's the people that took care of the place, the caretakers or whatever. And uh, so I would drink, and I stayed out there. I tried my best to stay out there, and and, uh, I went up the top of the hill one evening, and I called Bobo Vimble down at uh, uh, out of Spence Hill, and uh, they come and got me, and I was ripping and running and um, started shooting a lot of dope and stealing a lot and everything. I was just on, you know, on a death wish so to speak. Um, anyway, I uh, robbed a place in uh in a blackout on uh on uh Strawberry Mesklin and uh,
1: <laughs> they arrested
0: me. And I was in jail when I was 17 for interstate flight to avoid prosecution, first degree bond jumping, uh second degree robbery and uh Four months before I turned 18, I was in LaGrange. And all except for four months, he just left, and I just got there. All except for four months, I turned 18, 19, 20, and 21 in LaGrange. I had out four months and four years. And um, I got out the first time. And it was, uh, I got out the first time. And Led Zeppelin was playing in Cincinnati on Friday and Saturday night, April 19th, 1977. They took you, a guard took you to the bus station, and, um, and they gave you $50 on a bus ticket. And as soon as he pulled away, I went around the corner and got a quart of beer and went in the bathroom and started drinking it. And then I went to uh, uh, see a guy and bought a dime bag of cocaine off him and snorted it in the bathroom. My bus ain't even come yet. <laughs> That's straight alcoholism. Yeah, and then I got off on 5th and Madison, okay, and I walked around to the 414 bar and got another quart of beer. I hit through the alley, across that Madison Avenue, hit through the alley, heading to Bank Lake Street. The courthouse was only four blocks away, I was supposed to report. I hit the alleys heading to Bank Lake Street and I had a quarter beer in one hand and a bag of head 76 291 stamped on it in the other hand. And that's my first night out and I went to the, I had taken my girlfriend's brother had tickets to the Zeppelin concert. I went to the house and I stripped down to my boxers. I drank a fifth of Mr. Boston Tequila Sunrise. I shot seven hits of Yellow Sunshine with warm water and laid in the middle of the floor with two speakers to my ear. Listen, the frantum comes alive. <laughs> And I had a pistol on my chest and my underwear, and I, didn't, I couldn't get up. I just I, There was just all kinds of things going everywhere. And, but I can hear him out there talking, and I can remember, I can remember my, my girlfriend telling a couple people, Don't go in there. <laughs> uh, he's naked, he's high, and he's got a gun. <laughs> That's it's like she wouldn't speak to me for a day and a half or two days after I come down. But that was my first night out, and I was really bummed about missing the Zeppelin concert, but I did get pictures, you know, the ones that come out after you take them, the Polaroid or whatever it is, but I didn't stay out long. I got locked back up again, but anyway, in 76, uh, I went to my brother's funeral, shackles and leg irons, and, and then in 79, I went to my mom's the same way. I was in green room, in the green room room. Uh, maximum security in jail and first degree assault charge pro violation when my mom passed. And uh, so, um, I went there and not only that, when I was at the funeral home, the sheriff come and served another felony warrant on me in front of my family. Why, I was already embarrassed, you know. Um, Anyway, nothing much changed. I I was at a point where I drank all the time and you know, I drank, um, I had to drink. I had to drink. I can remember a lot of nights going home and uh, being dog drunk at 11, 12 o'clock at night, and I'd have to get up. F- I'd get up 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, I had to drink a couple beers. You know? I'd drink a couple beers. I'd tell you what, I'd be so sick, I'd take a drink of beer and I'd throw it up while it was still cold. You know? Finally, if I could just get a little bit in me, you know, a little something in me. And I'm not talking, I, that's on top of taking a couple values and everything. <laughs> Nothing took the edge off like alcohol, you know. But anyway, um, I just quit, this time 79, and I met the mother of my kids, and for nine years I drug her through hell. And um, um, I had ba- my babies were born back to back, one of them sitting back here somewhere, and uh, they were born 13 months apart, you know, and I'd give anything in the world if I could have quit drinking. And I quit, you know, I quit. For the most part, this is my ideal of quitting doing dope. Shoot dope on the weekend about every month or so. That's my ideal of quitting getting high. And, uh, but I drank all the time, all the time, around the clock. I had to drink. I would go. I was a drywall hanger, and I would go to the bar at 6 a.m. at the Bunny Bee, and I had to drink two shots of Kessler, okay, because that's the only thing I could hold down. I couldn't hold Jim Beam or nothing else down. I drank two shots of Kessler. And that's just so I could go to work and i have a couple uh, quarts of beer in my cooler. And I was still a young man, you know. Um, anyway, uh, not much changed. I got worse and worse. Been through a lot of DTs. Uh, I had, I was 150 pounds. I had a little beer belly and stuff like that. And uh, I was just beat. I was in my 20s and I was beat. I was beat bad. You know, and the place I had to carry a gun everywhere I went. I had a 25 on my coat. I laid underneath my leg when I went in the bars because I couldn't fight no more and I couldn't run. Um, just you know, just like I, I had a, a buck lock blade, big buck lock blade, and I'd open it and I lift tablecloth up and I'd stick it up underneath there, you know, because I couldn't fight no more, you know, and, and stuff like that. I, um, so I was strung out pretty bad, and anyway, my, uh, the mother of my kids her her uncle had a job offer in Tampa, Florida. Making good money and I didn't really have to work hard either. We built a cancer research center right next to the Sun Dome in Tampa. I moved down there and I was gonna send for her and the kids. Um, I was gonna send for her and the kids, You know, get a little money saved up, get a place and send for her and the kids. And I got down there and I started running around with the Cubans down there and started uh, shooting cocaine every day and drinking two liter Jim Beam and, living off meatball sandwiches and I had a two bedroom townhouse and I never sent a penny back home to her or them kids and they went on welfare and stuff and all the booze and all the dope in the world and never take that away you know and I swear everything I called holy I wanted to be a good dad I didn't want to grow up the way, my, the way I didn't want my kids to grow up the way I did but I was on a good track for that you know anyway I come back and she'd already been with somebody else and I'd already been with whoever down there and
1: um. Yeah, long story. But anyway,
0: and uh, and I was devastated. And um, four months later, I was back in the penitentiary again uh, for two assault charges and a third degree burglary. They charged me for burglary for kicking a window out of a salon to get a clothes rack to hit a guy with. <laughs> I, t- I told you I'm not a good drunk. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> But that's the truth. So, uh, and I'm back in jail again, and it saved my life. And um, I went to, I went down LaGrange and I was in La Grange a year and a half, and I got in some trouble there, and they shipped me to North Point. They gave me six years on the assaults, and uh, I was at North Point the last two years, you know. And I did everything in the world. I got myself back, physically back in shape and stuff because I, you know, I was in, I played ball. I was in the boxing club. I was always in pretty good shape. But alcoholism is eat your ass up. It will eat your body up and your mind. And and, uh, and I swore down there. I even quit smoking for a year. Cigarettes in the in the penitentiary. A loan shark and a lone shark. And I didn't have nobody sending me no money. They didn't send me no postal money orders or no Christmas clothes or none of that, you know. So I had lone shark and I run a card game and stuff like that. Um, and I did. And they sent me north Point the last two years and. And uh, I went up for parole the third time, and I made parole, okay? I got out on May the 3rd of 1988, and I was arrested on May the 10th of 1988 after doing three and a half years, you know? That's alcoholism. I told you I was alcoholic. <laughs> That's alcoholism. I had to drink. You know, when I was in the penitentiary the last time I swore everything I called holy, <laughs> I said, I want when I get out of here, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna work hard and I said I'm gonna buy my kids nice stuff. And I said they ain't gonna have to wear no two dollar buddies from Parks' dry goods. I said they ain't gonna have to steal bicycles and take them in the basement and spray paint them so they have something to ride. You know, and they're gonna wear good clothes at school and stuff like that, and I couldn't stay out no longer in ten day, or seven days. You know. And this all worked out because they started this uh, they started this thing. I've never been in AA and never been treatment. I had an AA certificate I bought for a carton of cools one time. Yeah. I had a homeboy that, uh, that uh, he like made the AA things out in LaGrange. So I gave him a carton of cools and he said, I've been to every AA meeting the head down there. I don't even know where AA meeting was at. You know what I mean? And uh, But that's as close as I ever got to AA. And anyway, I... Uh, <laughs> anyway i got uh i i they I was in jail and grace come and see me, and her name fits her well and she said i'm gonna pray for you and I thought that was kind of ironic you know i grow i went to Catholic, we went to Catholic school i never you know i didn't know a whole lot about anything except I'd already committed too many sins uh to get in heaven I uh, said so I might as well enjoy a little hell uh, and um... Uh, <clears throat> But anyway, and uh, I thought that was kind of ironic, and I got put in jail, and I was, on Thursday, Junior B, a lot of y'all remember him, he did a jail meeting in there, and I started going to the jail meeting. And uh, I started reading a big book. It, well, actually, it wasn't a big book. It was a half a big book. It was ripped, ripped in half, okay? And I can remember me laying in my bunk, and I remember saying a little prayer laying in my bunk. And stuff like that. And they started this prison pre-release see halfway Back program at Drogy House. And and that's, and that's uh, I was in there a few weeks, and uh, I had two pro officers. One of them was a young dude, and he wanted to uh, see me, you know, review my records, I've never been in treatment or halfway house or any of this stuff. And the other one was a cowboy. He said he told the judge I'd take him back on a Sunday, use my own car, my own gas, and I won't charge a state of nickel. I want him off the street. And the young guy finally won, and they took me to drogie house. You know, this is in this is in 88. Um, they took me to drogie house, and they put shackles and leg irons on me and took me to drogie house. Now, I, I don't know about Dayton, Kentucky. I've never been to Dayton, Kentucky until dro- they took me there. And um, and they took me to drogie house, and I was just confused. I thought, you know, there's no fence or anything, and... He said it was he said it was he said it was procedure. i I was not good at droggie house. I got rode up every day. Every day. I loaned shark at Drogie House. I never paid rent after I got a job, which I didn't have a job. I just had checks. I made my own checks out. I just stole some checks and made my own checks out like I had a job. I, I never paid the twenty-five dollars a week either. I was four years sober before I made amends for that. I I had somebody, a girl in the office, fix the books for me. Because my first girlfriend was in a drogy house. It was co-ed back then. She just did eight and a half years for blowing her husband's brains out. I said, yeah. I said, said, that's my gal right there. (laughs) You know, I didn't plan on staying sober. I needed somebody, you know, with some (laughs) sass. But I took to A real quick after I was there a couple weeks. I started really thinking I might be able to stay sober. And I'm going to tell you why, because across the street there was a, 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 a light, and it flashed all the time, a beer light in this little store. And I used to sit there at the, and look at it at the window. And after a couple of weeks, and people were coming in and giving their leads um, and stuff over there, and a few, quite a few of them in this room. And um, that light didn't bother me no more. And I didn't think about going over and sneaking beer in, and I thought I could stay sober. And I was supposed to stay there. Uh, I was supposed to stay there thirty days, so they kept me four and a half months. And uh, I just, I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> and we remember the was it the the one that used to, Chinese Fourth Street used to be over at uh in, by the police station over in Cincinnati, and uh, they'd buy me a, a pack of cigarettes and a can of Coke so I wouldn't embarrass them. <laughs> because they was wanting to shake hands and shit, and I didn't know anything about that stuff, you know. Uh, shaking hands and all this hugging, I said, if that guy hugs me, I'm busting his jaw I, uh, and stuff. I, you know, just I just didn't know. I just stuff like that just was weird to me, and I think man, I, I was so backwards, so backwards. Had social anxiety real bad and, and stuff like that. I got out and I got a little apartment right down the street from the drogy house and I, I'd i go to work, I'd go get a sandwich, I take a shower and I'd go to the drogie house and I'd sit on the picnic table till eight o'clock. And then eight o'clock I'd go to Russell Street for the 830 meeting. Them guys at Drogy say, how you doing it, Joe? How you doing it? I said, well I says, I go to work, I says, I uh I said I uh I cut I get a shower, eat a sandwich, I come up here and sit with your dumb ass. I said that's how I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah?
1: <laughs>
0: but Droggy Joe used to come over and see me every Sunday, and he'd spend two or three hours over there, and, you know, he asked me if I needed anything, stuff like that. I'm going to tell you how, uh, this is how I learned to pray. And, uh, you know, Droogie Joe was a little bee old guy. And uh, he'd come over there, and I said something cocky to him one time, and he said, he put his little finger in my chest. He said, you ain't too big, and you ain't too bad, or you can't get on your knees and ask God to keep you sober. And he said, you'll be damn lucky if you does. You know, and I said, you know, I said I would mash you up and put you in a butt can.
1: <laughs> and
0: that bothered me all day long. And I, it bothered me all day long, and I, I couldn't put together why, uh, why he was coming over there. I mean, it's summer, it's sunny, and, and I asked him, he'd say, I just hope someday you understand why I come over here. It bothered me all day long, so about 5.15 after we ate, I went up to my room, and I had this crazy... I mean, he was my best buddy but he was crazy Vietnam vet and uh, he was my roommate and I went in the room and I said look here Ollie I said, I'm going to pray he said that's good Joe
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I said Ollie I said I'm going to get on my knees and pray he said okay he said heck I'll get out of the room that's all I can give you some privacy I said no you don't got to no, no, go nowhere Ollie I said and he said well he said I'll shut the door for you Joe I said no I said, you don't have to do that either. I said, ain't them punks saying thing? I'll take care of them when I come up off my knees.
1: <laughs> and, uh,
0: I've been praying on my knees every morning and every night for thirty-five years, and I, you know, I can remember especially early on. Uh, I forgot to pray one morning, I was working off a of Hopple Street exit by the Shell there, and uh, and I can remember I forgot to pray, and I pulled in the Shell, and I went in, and I took paper towels, and I wiped the piss up off the floor. <laughs> Yeah, so I could get on my knees and pray. That's how scared I was. I didn't know anything else to do, you know. And I just thought, well, if I don't pray, I'll probably get drunk. And you know what happens when I get drunk? You just heard my story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, and, and stuff like that. But that's what—that's how I learned to pray. And uh, and I really believe in the power of prayer. I never have had. I've been married and divorced in sobriety. I've been. I've been. I haven't been a model model sobriety guy. I was eight months sober and I took a club to some guys in broad daylight, (laughs) and uh, I had to go to my pro officer and tell him. I had a a couple pictures of my kids in this yellow envelope, and I went to my pro officer and tell him. He kept me there like six hours, and and he said, did cops come? I said, I don't know. He said, did the ambulance come? I said, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm sober. I, I made it a point i was sober and i said i go to meetings too you know? <laughs> i had a rough time early on you know thank god that the people were patient with me they were you know and, and stuff my first sponsor was clark my sponsor now is Dick Hedger. My my first sponsor was clark and uh you know, he'd say stuff like, I don't know why they let a guy like you out of prison. You know, he said, I'm glad I didn't drink with you. He said, I would have shot you for sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and I got, you know, he was my sponsor, and I'm trying to work the steps, and I'm reading the books and and stuff like that. I was still having, I had to have supervised visits with my kids after, you know, even after a while, I guess, you know, she was on her journey anyway, Um But I know I was 13 months sober, and uh, Jimmy and them had this meeting out there and Bob Case at the uh, Sunday Serenity Group, 5 o'clock. And uh, I'm on 20th and Madison. It's a nice sunny day, sunny afternoon on Sunday. And I I go crazy sometimes. I have problems. I have issues. I think other than alcoholism. I swear I heard them talking about medication and stuff. And I thought, well, I need some of that. (laughs) You know, and, and my my whole idea on medication is I ain't never put a pistol in nobody's face and said, Give me all your Zoloft Okay. Really? So that's my opinion on, on medicine. But I'm at twentieth in Mass and Madison, I swear I'm I'm almost embarrassed to even say it. But I sit there in a white out or a blackout, whatever it is. And it's a red light, you know, 20th and massive, two lanes going north, two lanes going south. And these guys are walking real slow across the street. And you know, they know the light's going to change. Yeah, they do it. They're chomping me out. This is all like a five to seven second thought in my head. They're chomping me out. They know damn good and well that light's going to change. I guess they think I'm going to wait on them. huh? Yeah. They kept walking, they got in front of the car, and I made up my mind, if the light don't change, I flip them over top of the car, and the light, cha- light changed, I popped the clutch and flipped both of them on the hood. <laughs> the police station was about 10 foot away, 20th and 9th. I pulled over in the CVS lot, and they jumped out, one went this way and one this way, to see if they wanted to fight. <laughs> and I went to a Sunday serenity group. <laughs> uh, uh, <and laughs> And thank God for Bob Case, because he took like an hour and a half, two hours after the meeting and he talked to me about, we have to do some more. you got to do more. And, <laughs> and, uh, more, you know, and, and I never turned, I never looked back since then. And then I made Alcoholics Anonymous one of the, the number one thing in my life. You know, I never stopped after that. I knew that I had to do a, I'm not the one that uh, uh, can sit home for, I don't think I've ever went more than three days, no matter what country I've been in, no matter what city I've been in. You know, I never really went anywhere when I was drunk and sober, but I've been all over the country. I've been in five different countries, and AA all the way from the west coast to Boston to Key West, you know. And them children that I abandoned and everything, I had, to, I had to, a chance to be a half cussie of them by myself, that and their little sister. And she had a choice where to live, and thank God for alcohol. She wanted to live with big Joe you know, and she was eight years old then, you know. And then uh, I got beautiful grandkids, and, and my daughter's sober for a long time now, over a decade. Um, everything I've got is an alcoholics anonymous. I worked at the same company for eight years. I missed five days in eight years, okay. It took me eight years to pay back child support. It took me eight years to pay all them hospital bills off for them guys I assaulted, okay. But I paid $100 a week or hundred dollars a month on each of them for eight and a half years. So long, so good that the, the lady at the child support office wrote me a letter to the bank to buy my first home. And it was a 20 year old 20-year-old trailer and an acre of land out in Alexandria. You know, but I worked at the same place for eight years and I missed five days. You don't have to be smart in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got a seventh grade education, that's the last grade I completed. You know, you just got to know smart people. People in Alcoholics Anonymous have answered all my questions, okay, whether it be legal, financial, or anything, you know. And Clark was real big on putting prudent reserve up. So much money you're supposed to have up for hard times. He was real big. I can remember one of my men's was, I just said this the other night, uh, last night at the home group. One of my men's was $1,000. I called a furniture place. I told him, I said, I want you to deliver this and this and this. And I had to deliver it to my dope dealer's house. Yeah. And he he gave me three hundred dollars cash. Well, probably dope too, but anyway. And uh, I went out there to make this amends. I was still on parole. Okay? And the place wasn't there and I was happy. I got a grand, you know, I'm keeping this, you know. And I go back and I told Clark, and that was either on a Monday or Wednesday, I seen him on a Thursday. He had a list of what I was going to do with that money, you know. And, and that's the kind of guy he was, you know. I, um, I started sponsoring people. I've always had a new guy that's got less than a year sobriety, always, for 35 years. You know, the book says when you wake up in the morning, your constant thought ought to be on the man still suffers, you know. And, and that's what I do. I've been taught by some of the best. I picked Clark because every time I seen him come in, he had a couple new guys. You know what I mean? And I hear people talking about uh, Steve and those guys that I paid attention to. They probably thought I was out of my mind, but I listened. And Clark would make me go to these suburb meetings out there with the suburb slugs. And um, <laughs> yeah, and he would he tell me who to sit with. He say, "You' going there's a big tall guy. He'll be wearing suit named Don out the Villa Madonna." I said, where in the hell is Villa Madonna at? <laughs> you know what I mean? He'd say, well, you take the buttermilk exit and go all the way to the end. You'll see a big church, you know, and, and just stuff like that. And I'd go out there, too. I'd do that. And I can remember the first time I made coffee, all right? I was uh, just a few months sober, and um, it was only 12 cups. There was only like eight, six or eight people come to the, the Wednesday night meeting there at uh, St. Michael's there, and I had everything lined out guy spilled a little bit of sugar, I wanted to choke him. I got got there an hour and a half early to set chairs up and make 12 cups of coffee. (laughs) And stuff like that, you know. But uh, anyway, things have been great. And I'm I'm so grateful for the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's good speaking here in front. Most of you people have been listening to me forever. You know what I'm saying? And I want to thank the committee and whoever put all this stuff together. I would probably never be able to do it as good as they did it. You know what I mean? And I want to thank God for my sobriety. Thank you all.